Hello and welcome to I'd Like to Speak to the Arts Manager, a podcast featuring conversations with the people who work behind the scenes at our favorite opera companies, orchestras, museums, and more. In this week's episode, I talk with Mandy Stone, Vice President of Earned Income and Guest Services at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. The Nelson Atkins reopened to the public in September, and it was great to hear their strategies for maintaining public safety, as well as the genius that was that visit from the Kansas City Zoo's penguins. Enjoy! Hey, Mandy. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. (laughs) Oh, good. Oh my gosh, technology. Yeah, I know. It's amazing, but sometimes very frustrating. <laughs> right, right. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Doing fine, thanks. Are you are you calling from home or work? Oh no, this is my office. Oh nice. Are you are you eating lunch? I just kind of wrapped it up, so just okay. having a little bit of water now and I'm all good. Perfect. So you work at the Nelson Atkins. Um, can you tell me a little bit about this art museum? Because I've only ever walked around the grounds. Sure. Um, so we are um, a world-class art museum here in Kansas City, Missouri. We opened in 1933. We're an encyclopedic art museum. So we have um, uh, art from all over the world. Um, going way back to ancient Egypt, um, all the way up to modern um, contemporary art. Okay. I've never heard the term encyclopedic used to describe a museum. I love that. (laughs) So a pretty wide range of, um, of art and, um, artifacts on display. Um, what, what are your favorite pieces there or what are your Oh, gosh. Um, We have a piece called The Walking Wall um, that is my favorite, partly because I got to be a part of it um, when it was being installed. It's by um, an artist named Andy Goldsworthy, Mm -hmm. and he does site-specific pieces using nature and natural elements. And so he came here and planned what he called a walking wall using stone that he dug up by hand from the Flint Hills and created this huge wall that kind of snakes around the property. And what walking wall means is that once he had the wall built, he would take stones from one end and place them at the other end So meaning the wall kind of snaked around as he removed pieces and added pieces. Mm -hmm. It snaked around the property for about um, nine months or so. And then it got to a resting and permanent position here on our property. But what was so cool about it wasn't just the wall itself. And although the wall is gorgeous and, and when you see how perfectly the stones fit together, it's hard to believe that he he truly dug these stones up by hand and they just happened to fit so beautifully and perfectly together to form this, this really um, perfect looking wall. Um, mm-hmm. But then just the choreography of taking the stones from one end to another constantly over a period of about nine months, um, that was kind of art in itself too, you know, to actually mm-hmm. see that happening. So it was really, really neat. 
Wow, that sounds really cool. I love site-specific pieces that you can't really find anywhere else or they don't, they're never part of a traveling exhibit. I just, I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is it that you do for the Nelson Atkins? So I'm in charge of earned income and guest services. Uh, so essentially anywhere that the museum earns money that's not uh, contributed, so not a donation. So um, earning revenue, meaning we're doing something uh, basically to earn the the income that's coming in. So um, parking fees, admission fees, the museum store, restaurant, events. um, Those are some examples. We also have a mini golf course here. Um, We have a Tivoli movie theater. And so all of those different attractions um, or amenities is another way um, to talk about them too. So ways that revenue is coming into the museum. So you kind of have a really, a firsthand knowledge base of really how the museum has been impacted by this pandemic. Oh yes, I've had a front row seat. Uh, In some institutions, my role is referred to as operations and in some institutions Mm -hmm. it's referred to as administration. Okay, cool. So what has been your experience during this whole time while the museum was closed? And then I know you guys just reopened. So can you give me maybe like a brief synopsis of what the last six or seven months have been like for you and your team? Sure. Um, So in February, our director had the foresight to see that something was coming. Um, He has a lot of um, contacts across the world. He knows a lot of museum directors from from China, from Italy, uh, all over the place. And so he was having early conversations about what was happening in other parts of the world. Obviously, we were seeing news of institutions like us having to close um, in different parts of the world. And so um, he was smart enough to see something coming and know that it was probably inevitable that it was going to impact the museum. And so we had a bit of a head start on um, trying to foresee what might happen and preparing for it. It still didn't seem possible, if I'm being honest. You know, it, just, it still didn't seem like it was something that could happen in the United States. Um, and a lot of the information that was available at that time was really telling us, you know, not to worry. If you're not a healthcare worker, don't worry. You know, mm-hmm. um, all you need to do is is wash your hands and um, and and don't go into large crowds. You know, but it was very simple information that really wasn't intended for anybody outside of healthcare um, at the time. And so, um, as the kind of days went by, it really was daily at that point. Um, as the days went by and we started to see it getting closer and closer, you know, and, and then the U.S. had one case and then we had two and then we had 14 and um, so on. We had a task force that was meeting daily to assess the situation. And um, we got to a point on March 13th where we realized um, that there was going to be a shutdown of some sort. And so mm-hmm preemptively went ahead and closed the museum. So we closed before there was any city mandates or city closings or anything of that nature. The museum did it proactively just because of the, um, 
the close way that we had been watching what was happening. Um, yeah. In that moment, we closed for three weeks. We thought it would be a three week closure. We committed to reopening on April, I think it was the 12th or 13th. And so we really did think that it was just a quick, like, you know, batten down the hatches for a few weeks and then we'll, we'll get on with it. And um, then obviously three weeks turned into longer, turned into stay at home orders, you know, and, and um, then at one point our director said in um, late April, you know, I just realistically don't see us reopening until at least September. And so he kind of floated that out there um, as just from everything that he was reading and studying, um, he just didn't really foresee um, anything sooner than that. Mm -hmm. And so we set to work making plans for a September reopening. And um, what we learned was, and I'm sure everybody had the same experience, but being able to first figure out what the guidelines were and what guidelines you needed to follow and who you really ought to be listening to as a subject matter expert and forming your policy around their opinions and advice. Mm -hmm. Then once you figured out what you were going to do, then you had to go actually find the supplies to do that. And that was a challenge. You know? yeah. <laughs> so finding the PPE, finding the mask, finding the, um, the the sanitizers, the soaps, you know, all of the things that we wanted to put in place, the plexiglass, you know, each one of them presented its own unique challenges um, for getting it produced, shipped, received, you know, so it really did take us every bit of that time that we were closed to get um, the museum to a place that it could safely reopen. In. Right. So... You said that the museum director said that he didn't foresee reopening before September. Was that, what did he base that decision on, if you're able to share that? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, he, like I said, he's got a lot of relationships. We're all in a lot of um, groups. The museum industry in general is very um, open and shares a lot of information with one another. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we were talking to people in New York, talking to people, um, you know, in some of the hardest hit areas, um, you know, once again, watching what was happening across the world, people trying to reopen and then reclosing. Um, and he, he made a statement that I think resonated with everybody where he said, we were, we were one of the first to close, but we are not going to be one of the first to reopen. We're not going to be in a rush and we're not going to do this in a way that's potentially uninformed or unsafe. Yeah. I, I think that resonates with a lot of people. Um, we, my husband and I just moved to Texas from Florida. And I think we saw a lot of that where people closed and then they reopened too early. And then they were like, oh, no, we need to close again. We, we didn't think this through. Yeah. <laughs> Which well, and a lot of protocols, and actually, I would argue some of them still in place, that, you know, people are doing something because they think they need to do something, but they're mm -hmm. not really making it any safer. You know, yeah. so think about Walmart, for example, closed one entrance, but not the other. How was that making it safer for their customers? <laughs> you know, yeah. and we, I think we saw a lot of that early on where it's like, you know, 
enter the line here, walk through the store there, walk down the aisle this direction. And it's like, <laughs> it, well-meaning, you know, trying to make things safer, but it was really kind of making things more clustered. Yeah, yeah. I know I what you mean. So, so measures has the museum taken to actually keep a feeling of safety without making it unsafe. Sure. So um, the museum is is blessed with a lot of space. And so capacity here is never going to be an issue. Now, mm -hmm. where people actually choose to go within our space is a different story. You know, we have some galleries that are more popular than others, you know, of course, but um, just physically being in our building, we've got plenty of space to spread out. So um, we really focused on controlling the um, where people are, you know, at, mm -hmm. at certain times and controlling the times that they come so that we don't have big bursts of people and then big dead spots, you know, really trying to make sure that people um, are coming in at a nice even flow all throughout the day. Um, we also, we are under a mask mandate here in Kansas City until mid-January. Mm -hmm. But the museum had always intended to have a mask mandate and we are serious about it. We do not let anybody in here without a face covering, period. And that all the way down to um, age two and up. Mm -hmm. And um, that does even include people with medical conditions um, that cannot wear a mask. We, we require a mask right now. If you are a person with a medical condition, it's just not the time to come to the museum. Yeah. So um, that's one of the ways that we make sure that our, our staff, our volunteers, and our guests all feel safe. Um, mm -hmm. And we felt like going any other direction with that, at least right now, you know, if, if you see one person without a mask and maybe another, you know, well, gosh, I don't really want to wear mine either. And, you know, we just, we did not want to go there. So we are 100% mask or face covering here. Yeah. Um, controlling when people come? We have um, timed ticketing. So okay. we're a free museum um, and we remain free, but you do have to secure a ticket either in advance, um, online by phone or here when you're on site. And okay. so um, you choose the day you're coming, you choose a time slot. Our time slots are, are every 10 minutes. So um, there's virtually never going to be a time when you can't get in about the time that you'd like to come. Um, mm -hmm. But not only does this help us spread that traffic out throughout the day, but um, we also capture names and email addresses when we issue those tickets. So if we had to contact Trace, we could do that. That's awesome. Um, I am... Well, Carol Keeney is my, she's my husband's aunt. So I had a really interesting conversation with her about the ways that Tessatura is interacting with that. And it sounds like you guys are maybe putting it to even greater use. Do you feel like technology is, I guess, not a crutch is the wrong word, but do you feel like it's really giving you a hand and a boost up to be more successful and to cater better to your audience and your guests? 
Oh, absolutely. We um, were fortunate that we had um, used the time ticketing features for um, our art course attraction over the summer. And so when this came up, it was really a matter of just expanding that functionality. Um, mm -hmm. The technology, you know, I'm not going to say it, it hasn't been a challenge. Of course, you know, everything's been a bit of a challenge, but yeah. um, it was more the um, operational logistics of it that we're a museum with seven public entrances and, um, you know, being able to manage traffic flow in through only specific entr entrances so that we can get them scanned or so that we can get them ticketed. Um, you know, just changing behavior in that way has been far more challenging than changing technology. Yeah, I think certainly changing behavior is kind of the the theme, I mean, one of the themes of this year and just making sure people are wearing masks and it's hard to change that behavior. It's such an ingrained natural, natural habit. If you're used to coming to the Nelson Atkins on a random Friday afternoon because your kids are out of school or, you know, whatever, and you now you have to do more advanced planning and preparation. Right. So what are some of the long-term and even short, probably more relevantly, short-term plans and goals for engaging and reconnecting with member museum members and and guests so i'd say one of the challenges short term um, that will probably end up being a strategy for the long term um, is really trying to figure out how to change our mix of activity um, on site and virtually so prior to closing down for the pandemic we were very much focused on bringing people here. We've got great space, we've got great art to engage with, and we were bringing nearly 600,000 people a year here to have experiences. Um, and that's not to say we didn't have a fantastic website, we did, but the purpose of the website wasn't to engage, it wasn't to educate, it wasn't to entertain, it was to provide information that would then bring you on site. Mm -hmm. And, um, when we closed, there was a scramble by a lot of museums, but us included, where um, we all of a sudden wanted to put a lot of our content online, you know, and be offering uh, resources to parents and teachers and anybody who might be looking for um, entertainment or, or something to uplift them. And so um, we pivoted as fast as we could and, and put a lot of content online. And now we're in this place where we're going, okay, you know, so we're, we're open again and there are ways that we can safely have some convening here, um, you know, but we've got still demand for online content. You know, all of the schools right now that aren't doing field trips, they want virtual field trips or, you know, online mm -hmm. activities that they can do with their students. And so, not only figuring out where that balance now should be immediately, but also into the future, but then are we staffed for it? You know, so for mm -hmm. example, um, somebody whose who's role used to be planning big festivals that would bring 5,000 people here on site, now we're doing virtual festivals. You know, so that person who had this skill set to plan large on-site events now has to pivot 
to plan large digital, <laughs> um, you know, communication events. And so it's just been really interesting to see how um, staff and resources have had to pivot. Yeah. So what opportunities has the museum taken advantage of during this time that maybe were expected or unexpected, whether, and even maybe some of the unexpected good things that have come out of it? I think some of the good things were, um, we admittedly were um, too busy. And what I mean by that is there were some things we were doing where we were busy for busy sake, um, mm -hmm. you know, just just lots and lots and lots of activity, flurries of activity, um, and each thing that we did was was um, appealing to a different audience or a different segment, um, but it resulted in up to 700 unique events per year um, here at the museum, wow. which was very hard to sustain and quite exhausting for our teams. And we knew it, but we also loved how it brought the institution to life and how there was constantly something exciting um, happening here that appealed to somebody different and diverse. Um, and so we kind of, we, we muscled through it because we loved how it seemed to be bringing joy to so many people and bringing so many people closer to the art. But being forced to stop and take a deep breath and really think about impact and really think about why we do what we do and where, um, you know, we're, where we're really making a difference versus where we're just creating motion um, has been really valuable, been really, really valuable to have that time. And our yeah. director, um, I really appreciate that he um, has been very deliberate in forcing us to stop, you know, and, and just when we want to say, you know, oh, well, you know, let's, let's bring this back virtually and let's, let's launch this virtually, you know, he's, he continually challenges us to say, wait, why, you know, why now, why that, what, you know, let's just really challenging us to take a critical look at, um, our, our programming and our purpose. I, I love that because I think there is, as you said earlier, there's, there is a push to kind of get back to the and the previously new normal, the new normal, whatever we're calling it, how it was before this. Right. <laughs> and I, I think we do need as a society to take a breath and say, why are we doing this? Is this a good idea? Is, are people benefiting from this? Are we rushing into this? And I think that's really good that he's asking those difficult questions and having it be a more focused time. Yes. It was also a time, I call them rainy day projects, but I think everybody in their work has big, important things that they know need to be done or need to be evaluated, but they just mm -hmm. don't have the urgency that the day-to-day -day, um, things that come up tend to. And so they get pushed back, you know, pushed on the back burner. And, and um, having that time being closed really did allow us to get to some of those important but not urgent projects, um, at least for mm -hmm. my team. So I was grateful for that time. 
Yeah. I, I think people are doing that across the board in their professional lives and in their personal lives. I mean, what better time to reorganize your closet than when you're stuck at home because you can't go to work. <laughs> right. So yeah, I love that. So how, how do you see museums and the art, maybe even the arts in general adapting across the board? And do you think some of those strategies will continue in the long run? Or do you think that maybe there might not be capacity for all of those things and they're great for right now, but not five years from now? Um, I think for art museums in some way, this is really helping us um, articulate our purpose um, in that people really missed the arts. And in a lot of ways, people turned to the arts through this um, in the ways that they could um, you know, whether it was Netflix, you know, and w- watching movies, watching, you know, that type of art, whether it was, um, you know, looking at our content, seeing the penguins walking around here, um, which I saw you mentioned in your questions, yeah, yes, um, I love that. you know, whether it was reading poetry, whether it was listening to music, um, I truly feel like I saw people turning to the arts in, their times of trouble and their times of anxiety. Um, And so I think that in some ways, people maybe they didn't realize before how important um, the arts were um, to helping them be the the person that they wanna be. So um, that was exciting. I do think um, long-term, I mean, not to get terribly tactical, but um, I think there will certainly be a new awareness of space and new awareness of crowds um, that stays with us long after this. Um, Even a new awareness of um, committing to things that you may or may not be able to get out of down the road. Um, And I'm speaking specifically about, you know, buying a ticket to a Broadway show, you know, or a a symphony Mm -hmm. performance that's four months from now. You know, I think that all of us have a whole new perspective on um, uncertainty and, um, you know, just being able to, to definitively say that you can or will do something <laughs> has kind of been called into question. Yeah, I totally, I, yes, that speaks to me on a very personal level because my husband and I got married in April and had to cancel our whole wedding and wound up doing it at our friend's house and so now we're kind of like well we really still want to have a party because we didn't get to have a wedding reception so let's have a party in may but is it going to be safe to travel are people going to feel comfortable traveling are we even going to be able to have this party at the space that we want to do it at so yeah it really i feel like it makes everybody think on a more short-term timeline Mm -hmm. yep absolutely I um, I was supposed to take my daughter as a 16th birthday gift to New York. Um, we would have left on March 17th. Um, and we had tickets to Broadway performances and tickets to museums and tickets for a bike tour around the city and, you know, all kinds of things that just, um, you know, I would love to rebook the trip. Obviously, it's a long ways off at this point, but it's just, it, you just can't be certain about anything. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned the penguins at the museum. Um, and that, I think that was one of my favorite things to come out of the this pandemic, just from a like a 50 second viewer engagement. Can you talk, can you talk about that? Because I just, I, Carol talked about it a little bit too. And I just think it's, it's so cute and it's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we saw that the, the Shedd Museum had done something um, similar. They had brought penguins um, and we had really enjoyed it and started thinking about our own zoo. They were planning their reopening, which was going to be much sooner than ours. Um, because they have so, so much outdoor space. And um, mm-hmm. so they were able to do that safely. And um, so our, our director reached out to their director and just said, you know, hey, what do you think about this idea? Um, our building is, is empty and we could host them and could be something that really generates some interest for your reopening and um, could make people smile. And um, he, he went for it and, uh, and here they came. I love it. I'm going to, I'll have to um, post the link when I, when I put our conversation out as part of my podcast so that everybody can be reminded about how cute it is. (laughs) Um, Do you, did you find the museum being part of more collaborative projects like that in your time of closure and throughout this whole pandemic? Absolutely. In fact, the relationships that we had Um, with our peer organizations were critical during the pandemic. Um, We found that all of us were a little lost in terms of what do we do going forward? How do we create a safe environment for our staff and volunteers? How do we create a guest experience that is still enjoyable yet safe? You know, what policies will we make? What Um, What will new protocols be that people have to follow? We had a lot of ideas, but um, hard to know exactly where to land. Um, And not to mention, um, each one of those ideas came with an expense, you know, hard costs associated too. So where will we make investments um, that are actually going to make a difference? And so we formed a group um, that we ended up naming ourselves, but the group didn't have a name at first, um, ended up naming ourselves Casey Culture Cares. And it was about 25 arts um, and entertainment institutions here in Kansas City um, that we would just get on a call. um, I think I think it was weekly for a while and just trade ideas. You know, we were all in different stages of trying to plan a reopening. We all had very different realities as far as um, fiscally, how long we could stay closed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we would um, get on those calls and just say, you know, hey, we've been tossing around the idea of, and I'll I'll use a real example, you know, of, of investing in some of that technology that takes people's temperatures as they walk in the building, you know, and if somebody's got a high temperature, it sounds an alarm and, you know, and what have you, what, what do you all think? Have you looked at this? Do you think it's worth it? You know, and, and we would just trade ideas like, well, you know, um, here's what I've heard about that type of thing, or here's what I think about that. And together we ended up coming up with a coalition of sorts and that we all ended up adopting 
virtually the same practices. And um, what we thought was important about that was, was we knew then that we wouldn't be creating confusion for guests as they went from one of our institutions to the other, and that hopefully we could start um, training them, for lack of a better word, for what to expect when you go to a, a cultural um, experience here in Kansas City. So um, the same hoops that you have to jump through here are the same at other institutions, and we know that. Um, and so guests just kind of become accustomed to this is the way that it, it works. Yeah, that's really smart because I think for as a, you know, the general, as a member of the general public, it can be really confusing. I mean, it's almost like going to the airport where some security enforces certain things and other security checkpoints enforce other things. So there's, there should be continuity, but there mm -hmm. isn't. And I think that must provide some amount of a feeling of security for your guests too. That's what, that's what we were hoping is that we wouldn't yeah. be expecting things so far above and beyond or so different that it could come across as um, less caring, more callous, you know, more lax, you know, all of these ways that people could perceive um, the way that our museum was adapted to the pandemic. We really wanted it to be more of a, an expectation. Yeah. So, so what was it like to reopen the museum after you'd been closed for six months? Um, it was, it was wonderful, honestly. Um, we brought our frontline staff in for a three-day training session. Um, not that we had, uh, well, we did have a lot of content. I, I don't put it that way, but, but we really wanted to get them back on site and reacquainted with the surroundings, you know, comfortable in the surroundings again. It felt a little mm -hmm. surreal the first couple times that any of us came back. Um, you know, and, and just a little unsure about how to behave in this familiar environment that felt so different. And so by bringing them on site for training sessions, of course, in, in an auditorium where we're socially distanced and, um, you know, break rooms where everybody could spread out, you know, of course we took all those precautions, but really just making sure that they had three consecutive days of, of coming back and starting to feel like, um, like they, they knew how to behave in this place. Um, and then we didn't just open right back up to the public. We had a little over two weeks of um, member and volunteer days. So only mm -hmm. our members and volunteers could secure tickets during that time. And so the traffic levels were very low. Um, we were able to have um, conversations with people about the experience. We were able to learn um, learn from them. And then of course, some surveying of those groups too, to see what was working and what wasn't. Um, so it gave us a, a couple weeks there to start to feel more comfortable and to make sure that the systems that we were using were working. Yeah. Almost like a soft Exactly. Touch, exactly. Kind of. Yeah. So did anything come out of this pandemic that kind of sparked something in you mentally that you feel felt like you suddenly needed to take a moment to advocate for it? 
uh, ask that again. Well, I'm thinking like a woman that I talked to recently was encouraging um, their regular patrons to be more curious about trying something new. The um, they're an arts presenter, but they also have an in-house orchestra. So they've only been able to present orchestra concerts. Their core, a lot of their audience members aren't really super interested in that. They mostly buy subscriptions for their Broadway tours. So she was advocating for their orchestra and encouraging their audience to buy tickets to the orchestra concerts, even if it was something new that they hadn't tried mm-hmm. before. Yeah, I don't know that um, that we have a specific ask like that. Um, more, more just that we feel very confident in the experience that we are delivering and in the safe practices that we are um, that we are instilling here on site. So um, this is a very safe experience and. Um, and very enjoyable. It, I mean, very little, you know, aside from a little tick and tack here has changed about the actual experience of coming in and enjoying the art in person. Um, so I think I, I would just encourage people to come just give it a try um, and just guarantee that, that we will um, create a safe environment here and they can trust us. Yeah. I... I can't wait to come back to Kansas City so I can actually get inside because like I've only ever walked the ground. But the building itself mm-hmm. is beautiful. So yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get out there sooner rather than later. And actually, maybe for those people who have never been to the museum, given that you're kind of staggering entrance times, now would be a really great time because you know you won't, it exactly. won't be crowded. Exactly. <laughs> Well, it's been really great to talk to you, Mandy. Thank you so much for your time and all of this information. And um, I hope that the rest of your day goes well and your week and um, that things continue to run smoothly for you guys out there. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice talking to you. You too. Thank you. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting our website, anchor.fm slash artsmanagerpodcast, where you can also send us messages, questions, and suggestions for future guests. Be sure to tune in next time when I talk to Tyler Murphy, gifts officer at the Fort Worth Symphony Orchestra in Fort Worth, Texas. Until then, stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you soon.